0: Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast, where we reflect on recent sermon themes and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org, and be sure to say which sermon your question is about, if applicable. Don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about question askers on this podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing the sermons, the faith we give each other, better together, and the Easter sermon, more as possible, all of which can be found in this podcast feed.
1: Hi, Laurel. Hello. We're back. How are you? Specifically, I'm back because I got COVID. (laughs) Yeah. That's why if anyone noticed that there was not a March um, podcast, it was because I had the COVID. Um, Yes. So
0: this is the combined March and April
1: one. Yeah. Yep. So we're making it work. So thank you to you, Amanda, for being flexible and for everyone for, you know, giving me everyone's more concerned about me like doing too much, thankfully, which is the correct response. (laughs) And like don't give yourself long COVID. Um, So but I am back. I've been telling everyone that I feel like the most baddie version of myself still because I feel like my brain is a little lost in the clouds. Um, but I'm awake. So that's an improvement. (laughs) Listen, we will take it. Yeah. You know, it works. Um, and
0: yeah, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say that we hope you continue to get better. Thank you. Quickly and get plenty of rest and take your time and everything.
1: Thank you. And we're very happy to have you back. Who? I mean, I don't know how I got COVID. So also if you do get COVID, it's not like a moral failing. So, no, you know, so take care of yourselves and be careful, even if you're vaccinated, because I'm fully vaccinated and it took me out. Um, so here we are.
0: Yeah, the thing about a literal global pandemic is that people get sick, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a moral statement. Nope,
1: nope. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah. even if you do everything right, quote unquote, yeah, I was so good and I still get ish it. happens. Yep, so, anyways, here we are. Um, Should I say you're back? I'm back in slow motion, but I think that's fine. And I hope is sort of encourages other people to move slowly when they need to instead of just hustling. Um, Yes. And should I give you the church updates? Please. I was waiting for them. Oh, my gosh. To get us started. Um, So last time we talked, we we. I think it was the day before the board meeting, um, to vote about music. So one of the things that, um, that will be happening. So starting on Sunday, the first, we're still working out the details at the timing. Um, but we are reviving the choir, which is exciting. Um, because Ooh. we are now allowing congregational singing. We're keeping masks on, um, I mean, because like case in point, I am fairly positive that I actually pledged Sunday was the first Sunday that I was sick with COVID because I felt really out of it and like weirdly out of breath. I thought mm. I was nervous. I think I really just had COVID, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is different. <laughs> um, so, But so we're keeping masks because thankfully nobody got COVID from me, um, which to me is really encouraging that um, our... Our masking policy at church even though I know um, it had started to seem sort of overkill to people before this like recent kind of wave um, it actually protected people from getting sick when I didn't know I was sick so that was really positive um, yeah and but we've started singing we started with Kayla singing and um, the music director and then we started with hymns um, on Easter we had like the full slate of normal music Um, and the thinking with a choir is because previously the, we were, we were operating in the like old school church model of choirs where there's sheet music and there's parts and everybody knows what their part is, um, which I personally find terrifying as someone who doesn't know how to sing. Um, but in grad school, one of my friends basically, um, harassed me into joining the choir. Um, like, forcibly, like, I maybe was physically dragged there. Um, but it was actually a really beautiful experience. And I was, and remain, I'm less terrified now, but I was, like, deeply terrified of singing. Um, but it was just this really beautiful environment. And the the choir director was Mark Miller, who's this, like, famous Methodist, um, music, musician. And, like, he's, he's very well-known, and he's an incredibly generous spirit. Um... And it, it left such an impression on me because there was no expectation that you knew anything. And the point was the singing together. And like, yes, we sang in chapel, um, but that wasn't the point of why people came. Um, and so the goal is to is to have more of that kind of ethos to our um, our choir and our congregation So it's not so formal and is more about the practice of singing together in community, um, Hmm. and just being with each other and being welcoming. Um, so it's going to be more chill and like every Sunday singing for a while, we'll practice hymns, we'll practice different things. I'm planning on joining the choir. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I know to just, cause you know, you gotta walk the walk. Um, so, I mean, once I can do things without losing my breath, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to wait a beat. Um, but the hope is that it's it's more about nourishing people's spirits and being together than it is about, like, preparing to perform during the offertory. Um, so that's really exciting. We also now, thanks to one of our um, teenagers, our nursery is open again on Sunday mornings. So we're offering nursery care um, for babies and small children. Um, Yay. Yeah, which is awesome. And the first we did it the first Sunday on Easter in this like, will children come? We don't know. Um, And there were actually an unusually high number of children that Sunday. Um, And so it was really good timing. So that will be available every Sunday. Um, And we're we're simultaneously working on some more RE stuff for um, slightly older kids on the Sundays when we don't have Circle RE so that like they're welcome to come to church. But if they just really aren't feeling that, that there's also something um, like engaging and nurturing for them to do for kids that are like, you know, over five. Um, Mm -hmm. So to be continued. um, What else is new? The pledge campaign is going super well. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, And the church auction is started about a week ago. um, And we've already raised, I think, $5,000, which is amazing. Um, Awesome. Right? And you can get things like if you don't have a wooden name tag, you can order a wooden name tag. Um, I'm offering a vow renewal ceremony. I don't know if anybody's going to want that, but I was like, what skills do I have Um, so if your wedding was awkward and you want to do it over again, or if it was (laughs) magical and you want to relive the glory, um, Kayla and I are doing, um, a vow renewal. It can be a wedding if you, if I don't know of anyone who's about to get married in our congregation, but you could, and we're here for that. Um, and there's some of the sort of crowd favorites, like, um, dinner for family. What are there? What other things are there? The murder mystery dinner, the tea party, um, so there's a lot of fun stuff happening. Um, so we're we're ending a weird year really strongly, which is great. So, Awesome. There's that. Yay! <laughs> Yay, things are happening. I know. We're like a little the- vibrant con- congregation. It's great.
0: The auction was a very big part of my childhood in us <gasps> Really? W- yes, it was. Wait, um, will you share your used, auction memories? Yeah, I also used to remember hold it. the auction as
1: a child, which is this. I haven't thought about this in a while. Um, a few
0: times we held it across the street, really, <laughs> because <laughs> our church
1: area was not big enough. Oh, the Catholic right? Because the Catholic it was at church the Catholic church. Yeah, they have like a whole event hall back there. Yeah, that's where we had it. Nice.
0: Um, so that was. One of the few times I've been there. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think we actually may have also gone to a service there as part of RE, probably. probably. Yeah, because we did. We also went to. I think we went to. Yeah, like some other yeah. services. Too. Normally, it's
1: part of the like middle school age curriculum. Um, yeah, that there, you sort of go and visit different houses of faith. I I did that too as a kid. Um, it's a yeah. it's a cool part of our like re program that part of our goal is just religious literacy in general and not only about unitarian universalism um, yeah so cool it's true religious education i know um, look at
0: that so and of course based on the fact that i can't remember it you can see it maybe lifelong impression on me
1: <laughs> but um, you're not
0: afraid of other traditions right i assume you no, don't have this no. like
1: i don't know what those people are surely
0: right? surely it it molded and shaped me in imperceptible ways <laughs> um yes <laughs> um but yes i remember that event space and there was a year that it was hawaiian themed oh and i We had to hand out – and Anya was there, too. Yeah. Anya, if you're listening. And, like, other kids in my, like, age cohort group. Um, We would work the auction. Oh, my gosh. Like, that was our contribution. I love that. And so, like, anytime somebody won one of the, like, live auction items, we went and gave them a lay on the (laughs) Hawaiian night.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was fun. That sounds fancy,
0: we also used to work some of the other, like, auction, like, items that win. Like, Anya and I, and again, other people of our age group, yeah. were, like, the servers at a tea party.
1: Oh, um, I love that. was that. an auction
0: item. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you guys should come back for the tea party next week. That would be so adorable. And I'm um, sure you don't want to, but it would well, be cute. Well,
0: okay, custom aprons were sewn for us oh the first time. If that is on the table again, oh. I'm there with bells on. Um, okay.
1: okay, <laughs> Yes.
0: But I felt very important serving everyone. Oh, I'm sure. And they were very permissive of my lack of experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I sure think you they might be less everyone. permissive. I, I have a little bit less of that, like, I'm an adorable eight-year-old, don't expect anything from me vibe <laughs> going on. But we'll see.
1: <laughs> it's all good. It's all good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, a huge part of my, like, childhood memories are, like, my childhood church memories circle around, like, a number of things. Like, some of them are hanging out. Most of them are hanging out with Anya. Um, That's great.
1: Church friends are awesome.
0: Yes. um, (laughs) Like, hanging out downstairs while my mom rehearsed for the choir.
1: Yep. Nice.
0: Um, Working the auctions and, like, the auctions being a big deal. Um. Somebody <laughs> I was like watching younger kids during, yep. I think a choir or auction something during a big event, and yeah. one of the kids called nine one one and the <laughs> cop showed up. <laughs> oh my that was fun. <laughs>
1: wow, <laughs> yeah,
0: we well, guess we weren't oh watching goodness.
1: so great, huh. Or they were um, just really smart.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were messing around on the phone and were like, hey, don't mess around on the phone, whatever. And then the cops show
1: up and we're like, oh, my oh gosh. interesting. Well, um, I'm glad they learned what 911 means. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. They're I prepared mean, they were, for safety. They weren't something. that young.
0: <laughs> Man. Um, and then also like the pageants and liturgical dancing and nice. the satyr that we held downstairs i guess I have, that
1: hasn't happened in a really long time it
0: turns out i have a lot of church memories of yeah from childhood but anyway like those are my main ones nice um not to t- that took us completely off topic but whatever That's okay
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorite church memories from childhood was that the church um that i went to this is probably was cruel in retrospect But on Easter, they got live baby bunnies, and we got to hold these live baby bunnies. Oh, my God. I saw that minister, the minister from that congregation, at the retreat I went to in the fall, and she was like, yeah, we realized that probably wasn't a good idea, (laughs) so we stopped doing it. And I was like, fair point. Also, I'm sad. (laughs) It's just
0: that PC culture coming for all of our We don't
1: want to traumatize all the baby bunnies. (laughs) So this is fair <laughs> so church yes So what church. are your questions this month
0: <laughs> well so like you mentioned we are doing march and april yep
1: so celebration um, march week plus easter because i missed a sunday exactly. that i was going to talk about um lamentation and like kind of passover themes that didn't happen because i had covid
0: <laughs> we can look forward to that next year yeah. you can put next it in the year, hopper
1: yep also, um, side note, yeah, because I'm starting to plan next year's calendar, if there are topics or questions or sort of theological wonderings that you wish I would talk about in a Sunday service, um, it's really helpful to know what people want to know about um, in terms of how I think about what I schedule for the year. Um, so if you have questions at any point, um, and people have done this to me throughout the year, and then I'll figure out like, where in sort of the arc of what I had planned can I fit in this thing that you asked about um Hmm. so if anybody listening has things where you're like I always wanted to know x or I don't know how to grapple with this thing um let me know yeah it's like your job it is it's literally my job Mm -hmm. (laughs) so open invitation
0: (laughs) beautiful (laughs) okay um, speaking of your job. Yes. <laughs> transition expert nice. podcaster, nice. transition professional. Good job. Um, so in the faith we give each other, which was the first sermon we're talking about. Yep. Um, we talked about congregationalism. Yep. Which has to do with like true community-based democracy yep. and power sharing and lack of like a formal like power structure like some other like, well so that's an interesting have.
1: yeah so I would say because it's not a lack of power structure it's a very specific kind of power structure um mm. because when we think of a power structure we think of a, often we think of one that's a hierarchy um where like someone is sort of the supreme leader like the king or the pope or the you know some ultimate power um and then there's like a uh, like a pyramid scheme of underlings that's probably mm-hmm. a terrible description um and so there are various forms of like top down power structures and congregationalism is the opposite because it's still a power structure, but it's the inversion. Um, and so the mm. power is horizontal power. Um, it's power within the, the body of the congregation where power is held equally. Um, and there are leadership positions like the board members are elected and they're elected to be sort of the stewards of um, the congregation and its mission, but they're not, It's not like any of them are like the supreme leader. Um, And the minister actually reports to the board of trustees. And so the minister role is also not like some supreme leader. We're there to serve the congregation. um, And the way that works is because the board of trustees has been elected to be the stewards of the congregation. um, Like I report to the board um, and they're Mm -hmm. the ones who can help say like, this is what we think is important to focus on. And we work in, in partnership, and so it's not like the board doesn't dictate what I do, um, but they do dictate policy. So like mm-hmm. like all the policies about masking, for instance, I'm part of those conversations, but it's it's a helpful power balance that I don't dictate those things. I participate mm-hmm. them, and then I I do, do not have a voting role. So I'm on the board, um, but as a non-voting member, so I'm part of the con- conversations. Um, but there's this sort of equilibrium that happens because the minister is not some ultimate unchecked person. Um, yeah. And the board is not on their own, right? There's sort of this this team effort where everyone flourishes together, um, or at least that's the hope. So, yeah. Power structures.
0: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that distinction because, yeah. um, like, part, part of why I'm curious about it is because – my observation has been that power structures kind of emerge even informally in spaces that are intended yeah, yeah. to be yep. um egalitarian. Yep. And so I mean I'm it seems to me that there's definitely in UU spaces yep. explicit acknowledgement of the power and influence that you as the minister have. Yes. Um, which is like codified in your codes of professional conduct right, and everything right. like that, that acknowledges like the disproportionate right, it's a level powerful, of influence that
1: you have. Yes. It's a very powerful role. Um, yeah. And like the, the fact of a minister being in a congregation in like a hierarchical system that is determined by someone higher up. So like in a Catholic church, a priest is going to be sent to you. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have any, like the congregation, doesn't necessarily have any say in that. And our system is the opposite. Um, And so like, obviously I can't, well, maybe it's not obvious. So like I have to apply for a job in a certain congregation in a UU system. It's sort of this mutual interest. um, But the, the board of trustees is the one ultimately who decides um, like if the contract gets renewed or if the minister gets a raise um. So, I feel like I just mm-hmm. went on a random tangent. No, I don't
0: know. I mean, that's it's important. Yeah. Um, like how those roles are. Yeah. Determined.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've. I so I will it, say because yeah, I think what you ahead. were getting at is um. Powerful um like personalities or roles within mm. a system that's sort of egalitarian, um, and this is yeah. one of the the board, the big questions for the board for the year, because in small congregations, um, when you have a limited number of volunteers to run an organization, there can be the issue of volunteer burnout. um, And like people being afraid to agree to be on the board because they think it'll be this like horrible, arduous thing. Um, Side note, it's actually really fun. And there's a lot of giggling at board meetings now. So like, (laughs) don't be scared. Um, (laughs) And I think I've heard people say on the board that it's actually rewarding and empowering because in a democratic system, this small, like your influence and your, your opinion and your thoughts and your experience are actually really important and taken very seriously. Um, so it can be a really empowering, um, experience being in a leadership role. And there can be the problem that, um, there can always be people who end up with a lot of power. And so one of the things that's really interesting about congregations is that this is largely determined by the size of the congregation. Um, And so our congregation, which is, it's sort of in the like hundred, like little over a hundred people and less um, is considered a family sized congregation because the social structure functions like a family system um, Hmm. versus like a super big congregation Is going to have a very different power structure but the way that small congregations work so in small congregations that are in this sort of 100 people or so um there is sort of i think what you're pointing at where there are people who are like the pillars of the congregation the people who feel like they run the place even though there's not a formal power structure there is an informal sort of structure of influence um so Mm. that is a very real thing um, especially in a congregation that's on the smaller side, so I think this
0: is so fascinating. I yeah. know this is also, I mean, literally your specialty. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like this, is like sociology stuff, isn't it? Oh yeah, like group dynamics. Oh yeah. And,
1: yep. You know, and how is this interacting? And like, who has what influence? Um, it's yeah. I highly recommend getting a sociology degree if you want to be a minister. (laughs) It's a good idea. All those people in college who are like, your sociology degree is worthless. No, sir. (laughs) It is not. (laughs)
0: Well, I will leave the ministry to you, um, career-wise, but... Yeah. You've got a lot of organizing knowledge. I don't want to be a minister, but I do want to be an organizer. Yeah. Yeah. which yeah, is important, so... and I don't want to be an organizer,
1: so you please do it, because you are better at it than me.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's something that I'm relatively new to, honestly. Like, since yeah. I moved to Philly, um, so I'm only a couple years into, you know, really doing it seriously in yeah. any, like, serious sense of the term. Um, and it's, you know, obviously not, I'm not a professional community organizer or anything. <laughs> I'm just sort of sh- kept showing up to things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's interesting because there's a lot of – I mean, a a lefty, like, a left-wing political stance is, like, drawing power down into communities and more local control of local destinies Mm -hmm. rather than, um, you know, relying – than, you know, having the power come from these huge faceless systems and federal –
1: Like farmer's markets.
0: Yes, (laughs) and i like i am grappling with some aspects of that that have to do with the way like interpersonal and small scale dynamics can be tyrannical in the wrong yep. like yeah yeah hands. for sure you know like that can be that can go really wrong like it's it's the same like like the argument that people used against gay marriage, for example, was like, "We'll let the states decide." Oh my god! <laughs> like in that case, yeah. we were we were pushing to have as little local discretion over that as possible. Right. You know what I mean? To protect that vulnerable population. Right. And so I have a little like. Thinking about the optimal way to diffuse and distribute power mm-hmm. in a society of – and communities of different sizes is something that, like, doesn't yet keep me up at night, but, like, <laughs> might eventually it's start coming. to keep me up at night. <laughs> yep. Because it's very hard for me. I mean, the, the group dynamics, like you said, of, like, a family-sized congregation mm-hmm. – Versus, and I think a hundred makes sense as a tipping point yeah. versus like yeah. the bigger ones. I think this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's so that's relevant. Okay. Um, I believe the number is a hundred that people can like keep track of, like a hundred person right. group it's in 150. society. Yep, the, or that's hundred fifty. I'm yeah. sure are different.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: And the reason that humanity <laughs> has been able to do so much is because. Of our capacity for imaginative thinking huh. and that means we can invent things like countries yeah. to keep yep. a unified sense of like Collecting. a collection of humans yep. that's bigger than 150 people right right so like the that's fact that we our can understanding
1: we make it understandable yeah,
0: yep right the fact that we can like the human capacity for imaginative thinking yeah. is what allows us to have a global national you know state whatever yeah. sense of like society yeah. and community cue um, our
1: last podcast where we got totally lost in the clouds and everything was a social construct man <laughs> it was yeah i but mean yeah. we weren't wrong we weren't wrong yeah, it was so... just when i went back and listened to it i was like this is maybe our silliest podcast <laughs> yet <laughs> we sound like a philosophy 101 lecture <laughs>
0: Well, listen, I haven't been a philosopher for for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've gone from philosophy to sociology. That's great. So I'm not mad at that, frankly. (laughs) I like them both.
1: Yeah, it's Um, it's a good thing.
0: But yeah, like even within like mutual aid type organizing and everything like that, like there's still leadership that people yeah, So, I think, you know what so I, mean? I think
1: the thing that you're pointing to is um, leadership versus power, which are not exactly the same thing, um, because obviously being in a position of leadership gives you power and that can come from formal power structures like we talked about, like there's some given hierarchy um, and informal power structures where, you know, you're the tallest and thus valued the most in a weird like whatever it is, or you've been there the longest or like, you're the best at math. And so everyone really trusts you to do things, like, squ- sort of squarely, right? Um, there are all kinds of different things that can result in informal power. Um, and I think I think that one of the things that can get where it gets sticky is to what ends. Um, mm. Because if you're in community, power is not a bad thing. I went to this community organizing, um, like, three-day weekend training when I was at Yale. Um, I forget who exactly did it, but it was one of the like large um, grassroots community organizing organizations in the like Connecticut area. Um, and one of the things they were really pointed about was asking us if we were willing to be powerful, which hmm. was such an interesting thing. Cause they were like, people norm like people think it's polite to not want to be powerful and the rea- reality is, especially if you're like a white person at Yale, you have a lot of power. So are you willing to use it? Because being hmm. embarrassed about it or pretending it doesn't exist helps exactly no one, right? And is probably destructive. Um, and so it was this really interesting reframe because it because it pushed back against this like, oh, nobody like don't don't claim too much power. And instead the question was, what are you doing with it? Because someone's Mm. going to be powerful. It might be you and you have a certain amount of power. And what are you going to do with it? Um, and I think that the, the sort of potential concern about different kinds of, um, or informal power, or not informal, but like sort of egalitarian power structures is this question of who actually ends up having influence, um, and to what ends? Because we think that like formal power structures, if you are given power and leadership, it should be worthy, right? Like you should be, I don't know, elected or you have the right skills or the right degree. And so I think sometimes that feels like a more trustworthy system, which saying this, I'm like, this sounds very like white colonial culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a system where it's not, given and it is supposed to be egalitarian there's this like concern about what you do with power because power is still there um yeah but i think the point is to what ends right because someone Mm. having a lot of sway can be a really really good and important thing or it can cause havoc right (laughs) like yeah so it depends on depends on what the power is being used for and is it in the interest of community or is it in the interest of individualism Hmm. I solved everything.
0: (laughs) I mean, no offense.
1: No. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wait, what comes
0: after that? (laughs) I don't know about solved everything. Oh, my
1: gosh. (laughs) Um, Meaning I solved nothing. These are my thoughts for you. Feel free to take them or leave them. Yes.
0: What we're doing here is having interesting conversations. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> I think solving everything is like very slightly beyond the scope
1: of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um.
0: Yes. Although it's like a nice little bonus. <laughs> <if you> do.
1: <laughs> I say it with much jest. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, yeah. I mean, I think
0: that's the concept of like, are you willing to be powerful is interesting because... Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're not, there's a lot of buck passing. Yeah, and like, yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around why that is so frustrating to me when people with power pass the buck and duck responsibility, like, and oh, are yeah, not willing maddening. to be powerful. It's like, yeah, one when of we the think about it, in those infuriating terms. things to me. Right,
1: right. When you think about it in those terms, it seems obvious. Like. Please take responsibility for your power and use it. Um, yeah, because yeah, ditto. Agreed.
0: It doesn't. It doesn't go away if you pretend it's not there. Correct. Like right. you're
1: a powerful person. Right. Right. And this is. And so, like in my role, for instance, this is where ministers can end up doing really dangerous things if we forget the fact that we have enormous symbolic power. Um, yeah. Right. Like. Like, if we forget that, we are in very hot water. We're actually putting other people in very hot water um, Mm -hmm. because what we do can have such a disproportionate impact because of our symbolic power and because the expectation of how we should be, like, we should be trustworthy and we should be caring and we should be kind. And so the ways that we shirk that or forget that um, or don't show up is disproportionately impactful because of our disproportionate power um so it is it is certainly something if you're going to be a minister you have to be willing to be powerful um mm-hmm. and certainly not power over but um you can't there's no passing the buck and doing anyone yeah. any good yep
0: so i'd love to talk about the other march sermon which is yep. better together Yep. That was talking about the pledge drive and yeah. the fact that our biggest, like the church is the most biggest expensive thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's specifically um, me, but the role of the minister for our congregation yeah. and the majority of congregations, you, you congregations is the biggest expense um, because typically we are the most full-time staff person. Um, and we have a role that requires the most, the highest level of education um, so it's like the, you know, you got to pay a lot to get to, <laughs> to, to my yeah. position. So it has to be compensated accordingly. Thankfully, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but PSA to anyone else um, who's a clergy person of any kind, um, we are now included in the public service loan forgiveness with the federal government. And so if you're in a an income-based repayment plan, you can apply to have your student loan debt forgiven after 10 years of payments um, and the past two years of pandemic um, whatever the term is, where we're the federal sort of relief that we don't have to make student loan payments. Those two years count. And for clergy people, because we're new, um, we have until October, I think it's October 1st to certify years in the past because we're, we're sort of this new loophole that the, the, people with this leading this program figured out like the number of clergy people is extremely small and we're screwing mm-hmm. over people who like really spend their lives trying to do good things and they're an extremely yeah. small percentage of the population. Um so good news. Go yeah, sign I mean, up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and I think yeah it's like a huge it's game changer. It's yeah. a total game changer. Um so yes. The minister is typically the most expensive um, thing, unless you have a building that's falling apart. And that, that can also yeah. be expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and in particular, like part of why I wanted to talk about it is I wanted to bring up the idea of a passion tax. Yeah. Um, and so, just to like define it quickly. It's the concept that people who are engaged in work that feels particularly meaningful or like a, a calling mm-hmm. or, um, I mean, a lot of times this is true for people who work for nonprofits, like yeah. issue cause-based work. Yeah. A lot of times... Part of the implicit understanding of your compensation is the feel-good factor for being doing (laughs) something passionate. Yep. Which means salaries are lower, benefits are lower, (laughs) work conditions can be really, really, really taxing, traumatizing, burnout-y. Yeah. And it's kind of a recipe for, like, potential pretty brutal exploitation. I mean in cases where people are so passionate about the work that they forgive, um, or, you know, fail to hold their own boundary line or yeah. they're subject to, um, like emotional manipulation and pressure yeah. that really creates, um, just really, you know, labor conditions that are unfavorable that yeah. would not, should not this be This is a really good condition. segue
1: into next Sunday's service. Um, mm which is about creative living. And because I just read um, Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, Big Magic, which talks about sort of the creative process and what it means to be a creative person. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that she talks about is um, this idea that, like, to be a real artist, you have to be tortured. And, like, that's uh-huh. <laughs> not healthy for anyone. Yeah. Um. So, but, yes, you are very right. And this is actually – um. It's been really stressful being... So So I started three-quarters time, which was good. And I was was interested in this job originally because it was three-quarters time because I was still recovering from a brain injury. So the idea of working 40 hours a week was like, I can't stare at a computer that long. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of this mutually beneficial, like the congregation needed to not have a full-time minister. And I also needed that. Um, And thankfully, like as... I was willing and wanted to give more and the congregation also did need more. Um, and we had a lot of people come back. And so there was the congregation got sort of returned to previous numbers. And so there was a bigger population to be caring for and more to do. Um, and so in that dynamic of then I went to 90% time, um, I was keeping timesheets, which on one level is really good for boundaries Um, And, like, I have clergy friends who I've said to them, like, it might help if you keep a timesheet, just because if you're working 12-hour days, like, to your point, five days a week, and then also Sundays, like, that serves no one. Um, And so it can be a good thing to hold a boundary and just to be aware. And even if it's not a timesheet, but, like, on your calendar, like, on your Google calendar, I block out how long I was working on different things so I can visually look and see, like, how much of my week was yellow, which is like my work color code. Um, Mm -hmm. And how much of it was other colors. Um, But the part of the, part of the really hard thing about being a minister, and this is becoming more and more true as I get farther in with this congregation is that it's incredibly different, difficult to quantify what I do. Um, Because like when I arrived, Like my first year was like so administrative um, and it was things like Google Drive and email systems and office furniture and, you know, like really obvious nuts and bolts type stuff. And at this point, like, yes, we're still, you know, the hybrid system is a thing we're always working on for services. Um, But at this point, like there's... Furniture in my office, right? Like I'm not, I'm not solving those kinds of problems. And the things that I'm doing are much more about like, what does the congregation need? Um, What do individual people in the congregation need? How can I be supportive? Um, How can I be creative about the ways that I'm supportive? Um, And then sort of on the obvious front in terms of Sunday services and writing and writing sermons, um like the number of times I've written a sermon, like as I'm falling asleep typing notes on my phone, because I had mm-hmm. a brainwave, is like, how do I right? Like, how do you put that in a timesheet? How right. do you qualify the sort of like doing laundry for two hours and in your mindlessness you realize what you should do? Right? Like that's just not how do how do you qualify that? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was part of where I finally said to the board, like, this 90% time thing is not really tenable because it's the idea that you're a part-time minister minister suggests that you could have another job um, because you're not working full-time. And I tried. During the pandemic, I tried to start a small business because I sew, and it's really hard to find clergy stools. This is not like a plug for my company because I don't (laughs) actually have time for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I started this company to try and make and sell clergy stools because I was like, you know, I work part time, quote unquote. No, I think I sold three. And then I was like, too much, too much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) backpedal. I can't do this because I work full time and my job asks everything of me. Um, And similarly, this is why, like, it, sometimes I feel guilty talking about, like, the time that I have off, because as ministers, we're required to get a month of vacation time and a month of study leave, which is sort of, I used to think about it as, like, finals cram session, which was a very, like, I've been in grad school and college for too long frame of reference, right? No, because, like, reading books until all hours of the night is not going to make me a better minister. Shocking. Um, So it's for anything that's going to like make you better at being present is sort of my way of thinking about it. But to most Americans, because of our absurd like job setup, having what looks like eight weeks just off is like unheard of. Um, And the reality is that I have a job that I, like, if I get two days off in a row, that's unusual. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I get one weekend off a month, which means, like, I it's very hard for me to go anywhere or, like, go on a trip or go visit friends unless it's the summertime. Um, and you can't fake it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't, when your job is about presence and about being with people and about sort of your own meaning-making as you move through the world, like, you you can't bullshit that, right? That's... Mm-hmm. People can tell. Um, and so it asks so much more of you um, than, than, like, any job I've ever had. Um, because it's not about being busy. It's about how you are with people. And, like, how do you quantify that? Yeah. How do, how do you... And um to your point about like I don't remember what your point was. You said something that made me think of something. <laughs> to your point about like burnout and power, um, I think you made a point about that. Um mm-hmm. one of the one of the really dangerous things about ministers is that the two things that are most highly correlated with not misconducting, um, so like not mostly this means not having sex with a congregant, which is a form of sexual assault because in a, Mm -hmm. right, we know this because in a power dynamic, their consent is not an option, even if it's two adults. Um, So the two most significant factors in preventing any kind of misconduct, be it financial or relational, et cetera, is that you go to therapy so that you Mm -hmm. have someone else like, you know, checking you and talking about your needs. Like, I practically use therapy as, like, a job consult where I'm like, what about this situation? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have a degree in this. Um, And the second thing is that you have your own damn friends. So that you know Mm -hmm. in that, like, exchange of relationality that you are not doing it for your own, like, gratification, right? Like, when Mm -hmm. I share about myself with a congregation, it's because I care about them and want to know them and have them feel known in return. Um, It is not so that I can have my problems listened to, Um, Mm -hmm. which is like, a very, like, I think the closest framework I have, maybe being a teacher, but, but being a therapist, I think is sort of a helpful, like, thing to consider in parallel with ministry, because like, a therapist, I don't know anything about my therapist, like very little, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of the point, right? Is that it's a one-way relationship so that I feel cared for and that my needs are getting met and I feel whole and well enough to take care of my congregation and go through my life. And and it's individual, right? Like, it's not like my sister talks to my therapist. Mm-hmm. A minister, everyone knows that everyone's talking to the minister, and we're all doing it together all the time. And people know things about me. <laughs> right. And so it is yeah. like it is a it's a caring role, but it's a caring role that is the boundaries in a very different place. Yeah. Right. The boundary of how much is known of me or of any minister is in a very different place. Um, and I like I hear colleagues sort of like panicky asking Other colleagues how to navigate the the fact that like congregations sometimes feel a lot of like ownership over their minister, but in the sense of we get anything from you. Mm. And so like... You're bought and paid for. Yeah. And so we should get to know about all your personal business. I do not feel that way, thankfully, in our congregation. Um, Our congregation is... I think, pretty good at these kinds of boundaries. And people are very sweet about the questions they ask and are very good Mm -hmm. about it. Um, But it's totally a thing, right? Because it's like, you're here to care for us. You're our person. And we're we're in community. So we're supposed to know you and you feel like a friend. Um, And that's where, like, again, with the, if you don't have your own friends and have your own people to turn to, that's where Mm -hmm. ministerial congregant. Dynamics can get really, like, dangerous, frankly, when people start to think the minister is their friend in the sense that it becomes a two-way street. Um, Yeah. And again, it's like, it's a little squishier than the black and whiteness of a therapist and patient relationship. Um, But again, when I'm sharing it's not for my sake right like it's for the sake of the congregation it's for the sake of our working together so like again with the fact that i report to the board i do tell the board more about myself and more about what's going on with me but it's in the interest of our being able to work together effectively um so yeah ministry is a really high burnout profession um yeah (laughs) and, and like i'm still even in the last like Month or so of having COVID, I've been having to come to terms with the sense that doing my job is not about being busy. And like right now, doing my job well means working quote unquote fewer hours and doing things that are much more high impact so that I have the energy emotionally and physically, because I've been sick especially, to go do the things that are really significant. And like, I don't need to, I don't, there are all sorts of busy work, paperworky things that I can do, but like, I don't need to go do those things right now. That's not what my job's really about. Um, But it is very different from when I started and it was, it was so administrative. And so now we've, we've really gotten into the place of like, you can't part-time this. Like, (laughs) if you panic text me at 10 p.m., I'm going to call you. Like, right. There's, there, Sorry, that's outside not, of work hours. <laughs> right. Like that's not negotiable. And I am going to work every holiday because that's my job. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So, yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing it up because it is a very, very different and strange profession. Um, yeah. That asks a lot of you um, and is notoriously not high paid <laughs> because, mm-hmm. again, with the passion thing. If you were in this for money, you chose the wrong job. <laughs> well, and
0: I think that, I mean, that extends to a lot of like specifically caring professions. Totally. Which, totally. Surprise. Is, I know. You know, coded female. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And a, a lot of like trying to make the world less garbage. Right. <laughs> right. Positions and stuff like that. Like, yep. Positions that people like feel passionately about. Like, yeah teachers, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, and it's really you know, it's I just think the yeah and it it also I mean talking about power, like obviously you are in a position of power right if you are caring for people like that totally is an important thing you're doing you're you know all of that, but like the fact that you stay financially restricted yeah means that a lot of people who like care a lot about the world self-select in populations that limit their buying and financial power and yeah that's that's, like that's
1: actually that's really mm, uh, you're making a very good point (laughs) yeah interesting Mm, that Mm, housing market mm, it's a little scary (laughs) how about that yeah yeah anyway <laughs> yeah no it's hard it's hard and so i i'm thankful that we could get to the place of saying you know we can do this we can have a full-time yeah. minister we can make that happen um and and doing cost of living raises for for staff people um hopefully across the boards um yeah we when we we hired new staff people two new staff people here and we so we started them at next year's projected rates, to try and be like, we know that this is happening, right? We know that the economy is shifting. Um, yeah, so
0: yeah. So when you were not ninety percent time, but when you were like legitimately like, I don't know how much time, part time, part time, yeah. when you first started. Yeah. Um, did you stick to those hours? <laughs> I already know the answer. <laughs>
1: okay, so the so I appreciate the way that the. I think it was the board who wrote the initial contract maybe it was was probably like hiring committee finance committee and board together so the way that my contract was and is still written um, because i'm not full-time is that i have a set number of hours a week so three quarters time was 30 hours a week um 90 time is 36 hours a week which actually per labor standards is full-time so that's where all of this gets like very murky um But it meant that, so there was the stipulation that I would be paid extra for more hours for like extenuating circumstances. And the reality was that it was like every other month I was getting paid more, Um, Mm -hmm. which is good because it prevents against the like, you're just quote unquote three quarters time, but working full time and nobody's paying for you, paying for that. Um, Yeah. But the problem is, it also changes all the percentages. So like my health insurance, when I was three quarters time, um, our contracts, if you're full time, the congregation pays 80% of your premium. So when you're three quarters time, the congregation is paying 60% of your premium. So that's Mm. actually a really big financial difference. And that doesn't change if you are actually working a full time month. Um, And Mm. the same is true across all of the benefits. So like, less is put into your retirement, um, and like less is reimbursed for your taxes for there's the taxes are complicated, uh, but there's a specific tax thing, um, that the congregation covers. There's one type of tax called FICA. Um, and so like, yes, it's good that that was happening. And, um, it didn't really make sense. And again, with the fact that I have the type of job that like, how do you quantify it anyways? Um, right. And so how do you even say when you were working? And so I've sort of been in this hamster wheel for like three years of being really concerned about, about my hours because I'm an overachiever, no one's surprised. And so I'm <laughs> concerned that I won't work enough. Um, but what it has really meant is like, I'm on the slow weeks I'm still working the same amount but then on the weeks when like something happens or something significant is changing then I'm going over right so like so there was no naturally riding the wave of like chill out for a hot second like everybody needs a break um and health insurance and all all that kind of all that kind of jazz yeah (laughs) yeah in in ye olden times the minister because of because they couldn't really pay so much and people farmed their own produce right the minister's compesa- compensation was in the form of a place to live so a parsonage um which is where now part of my part of i like portion off part of my salary as the part that covers my like essentially my rent and that is taxed in a different way um mm-hmm. and that is because of this history of A minister is understood to not be paid well. And so part of the way that you're paid is by giving you a place to live. Um, And like it used to come with land to farm and like people would give you potatoes, right? Like it was a very Mm -hmm. different way of of existing. Um, Now that doesn't work. You can't pay for grad school in potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately probably Um, not the
0: one you went to anyway
1: yeah but no no but you can see where there's sort of like these old old traditions and old realities still show up today um Hmm. i.e. like the housing allowance piece where where part of what i make is is separated out other traditions it's put on top of that so there are like all different kinds of ways of talking about these things um and, and all different, like, again, with power structures, because part of what is hard with a congregational power structure is that the financial resources for the congregation come only from the congregation versus a larger and much older power structure, like the Methodist church is hugely wealthy. Um, and so there, I don't know exactly how the finances work, but there is the flow of money is different than ours in our power structure. The UUA is essentially like um, it's an association, right? Like it's called the Unitarian Universalist Association of congregations. Um, And so it's our pooling of resources so that as all of the UU congregations together, we can have someone who is, you know, the HR expert and someone who runs the health plan. Um, But the power goes to them not to the congregations which again to circle back is why the the conversation about minister salaries can be really complicated um and my ministers going to be really awkward about it right because when the pledge campaign comes up you're supposed to give an impassioned um an impassioned sermon i got another call from another clergy person <laughs> okay um you're supposed to give this like impassioned you know, sermon about giving and like the sort of subtext is to pay, <laughs> pay me. <laughs> I have rent, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Like it's, it's so it just is all, you know, fascinating and complicated and good to talk about, right? Again, with the power, like there is a lot of power and it's good to name where it is. Um, yeah. And to use it for mutual flourishing. Cause having a minister who's like <laughs> super burnt out or like worried about finding a place to live like that doesn't help anyone that's not good for yeah someone showing up and being really present to you um so yeah i mean a lot of the
0: like research and scholarship that underlines my interest in guaranteed income is the way like I, you know while we're talking about taxes like there's a scarcity tax on your brain functioning. Totally. That, like <laughs>
1: Especially when any you have kind COVID. Of,
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. any kind of perceived scarcity, especially, like if you perceive to be operating under scarcity of yeah. Yeah. money, of time, yep. of whatever you need, that thing draws, first of all, a disproportionate amount of your attention involuntarily. Right. So right. it distracts you right. from other parts of your life. Yeah. And it blocks out things that are important but not urgent right. in terms of meeting that need. Right. And that means, like, things that are important to you get pushed off indefinitely right. because they fall outside of – it's called tunneling. They fall outside of the tunnel that oh, focuses this is on this hyper-urgent thing that yeah. is specifically, like, your brain has narrowed in on it as this is a scarce thing. This is yeah. what I have to think about and pay attention to. Yeah.
1: That's so and that's, real. That's so – that makes so much sense to me.
0: Yeah. It has, like, really, like, measurable impacts on, like, brain function and ability yeah. to do – like, just live other parts of your life that are important to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, like
1: high-level thinking or, you know, being present. Alpha- Circling alternative, back to that being my, <laughs>
0: my key job. It also present. encouraging – yeah, it encourages borrowing and it encourages short-term over long-term thinking – interesting so like you borrow time today from your calendar even though you know it's going to be worse if you don't get that done today yep oh for sure Um, for sure even if the interest is really high you have to borrow that money now you know what i mean like you just have to psychologically and also financially it's often literally the best choice this is
1: so interesting because this Explains the phenomenon of ministers writing sermons on Saturday night or even sometimes <laughs> Sunday morning. No, but seriously, because yeah. I have this where like I tell my my plan is always to write sermons on Thursdays because I my goal is to take Fridays and Saturdays off so I have two days off in a row. Um, but the reality is what normally happens or what very frequently happens is I take Friday off in order to have the mental reserves from having taken a day to like rest and do other things so that I can spend Saturday spending half my day thinking about writing a sermon while pretending to have fun. And then, (laughs) and then I spend the second half of the day preparing for Sunday. But I, Mm. because the reality is that I didn't come Thursday. I did not actually have like the mental, spiritual, emotional reserves to do that kind of deep, like, meaning making and thinking and spiritual sort Mm. of um, exploration. So that, that I feel so seen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause it's a thing. And I was so like, when I was an intern, because like when you're an intern, you preach like once every two months and it's this really big deal and you treat it like, or I at least treated it like writing a research paper. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how do they do it every week? And then I would, like, meet other ministers and they would, like, I'd see them on a Saturday morning. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write my sermon later. And I was like, what?
0: Excuse me? <laughs> what?
1: And they would yeah. just, like, be horrified. And I did not understand. And now I do because, like, you have to take the time to recuperate in order to do the thing that that can, like, require mm-hmm. the most of you. Yep. Wow. We're learning It's so also... It's
0: also why, like, if people procrastinate, like, sometimes you need the urgency oh, yeah. of the deadline to get it yeah. inside of your urgency tunnel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love this. So, yeah.
0: Also, oh. the other thing that it makes really, really, really hard is, like, alternative pathway finding. What is that? Like, what are, like, <laughs> other ways that I could solve this problem? Um, like, huh. a lot of it is, like... um just yeah like larger scale like longer term solutions to problems or like multi-stage multi-step like alternatives to the way that you're going about it versus just like whatever you the first thing you hit on that like addresses the level of urgency you feel about it
1: this is like Like, writing the sermon yeah three weeks later instead of the one you have to give the next day well, yeah, but it's also about, like
0: – but it's also about, like – so, for example, like, if you – well, I'll use an example that will be really applicable to me and no one else. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, right. Like, if you are absolutely, like, on a deadline yep. for, like, having mm. to finish something, yeah, like, it's possible that there's a, like, work smart, not hard way to get it done that will be faster. But – the way that your brain is operating under scarcity crowds out that, like, other options, yeah. like, other ways of approaching it, yeah. like, yeah, the yeah. creativity of, like, let me think of a different way to do this. Yeah. And you end up just, like,
1: okay, I just got to put my head down and plow through it. Right. Right. Um, right. And then you end up doing things that, like, get you there in the short term, but then, like, are ultimately yeah. not effective ways of functioning. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, in general, human psychology is biased towards short and present term, like, phenomena anyway. Yeah. Um, But that gets really exacerbated when you're operating under scarcity of any kind. Um, It has, like, a really intense psychological effect.
1: So, yes. So one of the – I just – this is making me think about another book that I just read. I've discovered that the trick to me reading books is to listen to audiobooks, (laughs) 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 which took me into, like – however many years I am since graduating from grad school, um, that (laughs) that is the ticket. Um, But I just read the book, um, What Happened to You, which is a book about um, the effects of early childhood trauma on the brain, um, and Mm -hmm. sort of the effects of trauma in general on the brain. Um, But one of the things that they talked about is, so ACE scores are adverse childhood experiences, and it sort of um, cat- or gives you a score of the number of like difficult experiences you had as a child that could adversely affect your um, like brain functioning, i.e. everything. Um, and one of the things that they talked about is the reality of things like racism. And if you always are operating in a system where like there isn't enough, the world is not safe enough, you're in a community that is under-resourced um, it's going to affect your brain composition mm-hmm. and your brain functioning. And that is a system or like a, a a symptom of the environment that you've been raised in, not some kind of pre existing, like what's wrong with you, which is why the title of the book mm-hmm. is What Happened to You. Um, so, yes. Also, psychology is fascinating. <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> okay. Should we talk about Easter? Oh, this is this
1: the longest podcast ever?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Easter. So I will say,
1: so piggybacking off of what we've just been talking about um, in terms of scarcity, I think that there's also a theological component to this. And people can get mm-hmm. really like skin crawling when we talk about theology because they think we mean God. And by they, I mean you use who are skeptical of <laughs> theology. Um, <clears throat> thank you, COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was thinking about Easter, um, the the Sunday that came after Easter was um, because it was Earth Day. We used a service that was from UU Ministry for the Earth. And it was my Sunday off. Um, but it had sort of come up under this conversation about how to do a service about the environment and the realities of climate change and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and there's there's this like common refrain that we should act like our house is on fire because it is, which I find really dangerous and really unhelpful um, because it sends you into panic mode, right? Which is this scarcity thing, which is short-term thinking, which is creativity does not, is not available to us. Um, Mm -hmm. We can't do deep processing. We go into sort of like flight mode. Um, And, and so in thinking about Easter, um, and I was specifically because someone had asked me about this, like essentially, what, what if it's not springtime? which is actually what which was a really astute question. Um, because, like I said in the sermon, it is so easy for us as Unitarian Universalists to get around like sticky theological questions by and specifically in terms of Easter to get around, the discomfort with Jesus and Christianity and resurrection theology and salvation theology by just making it about bunnies, right? By just Mm -hmm. making it about springtime. And there are ways that that, that like tie makes sense. um, Because like, yes, if you live in a seasonal place like new England um, spring is a time when the world seems to come alive again. And we know that Christian traditions or Christian communities early on used pagan traditions to sort of popularize themselves. So it's like no shit we make Easter about springtime. Hopefully I'm allowed mm-hmm. to swear on our podcast. <laughs> People sometimes well, we apologize do. for swearing in front of me, which makes me think I should swear in front of them. <laughs> so there you go. Um, <laughs> but so I was thinking about Easter and this like, what if we don't sugarcoat this thing? Like, Yeah. We don't need to get around it. It doesn't have to work for you. It doesn't have to be important to you. But we are capable of making sense of this in a way that is meaningful inside a theology of universalism. Because I think that's, aside from like the icky factor of crucifixion is really graphic. um, And then the sort of ghosty factor, I think, seems sort of goofy to people or whatever it is, whatever like Uh discomfort. Um, with the whole resurrection story, like there are ways of making sense of it, right? There are ways that it can be meaningful still, and you don't have to take it literally. Um, and I think to take it literally kind of misses the point. Like if you take a poem and the Bible is like a really long poem, a lot of it is actually specifically in different kinds of poetic verse. Um, like you're kind of missing the point. Um, And, And like missing the truth by trying to make it factual. And so I tried to do this this Sunday by saying like, yeah, let's strip out the springtime. What is this about if we strip out the easy comfort factor and the easy parallel? Um, And in thinking about the, the service that was coming the following Sunday, and I don't I didn't expect anyone to put this together. But when I'm planning a service, I'm generally thinking about broader context and sort of what came before and what comes after. Um, and to the to the comment about like, act like the house is on fire. Um, I find a lot of the ways that people talk about the environment, not only not helpful, but actually really psychologically harmful. Um, and so I wanted Easter just to be a kind of buffer, not only for that um, and for all of the kind of Earth Day messages that could be coming that could be potentially like, spiny under like a love nature but in this like let's make sure you feel panicky enough um and i think one of the to me one of the really key theological questions is again to your point about the scarcity mentality because theology can be a powerful um like antidote to the suffering of life our capacity to make meaning um Mm. and so to me the question that Easter presents is are you willing to believe that more is possible? And are you Mm -hmm. willing to believe that there is some creativity that exists in the universe and you can call it whatever you want to some like spark towards living that will keep coming back no matter what. Mm. And even in the face of death and destruction and violence, that thing, whatever you call it, that thing can't be destroyed. And often, when you try to, it's going to come back harder because it's going to become more committed and it's going to become, like, more community-based and more um, shared and more named, right? When people, like, like looking at the sort of the way that, that people are talking about the Russian attacks on Ukraine and this, like, shock that this tiny Ukrainian army is, like, fierce, right? And they talk about the fact that this is because they actually have a reason for fighting. Um, And that's that sort of like, you can't, that's a thing you can't take away. Um, Mm. And so to me, this theological question, especially when we're going into, into these like existential dread inducing conversations about like climate change is where do you place your sense of ultimacy? Is it death? And is it destruction? And do you, do you live in service to that? Do you live in service to the idea that destruction will win? Or do you live your life in service to the idea that creativity is unending and unyielding? Um, and to me, that's this question of Easter. Like, I don't care if you believe in Jesus. But I do care if you walk through the world thinking that everything will be destroyed. Or if you believe that, like, death will not win, right? Hmm. That nothing can erase the, the spark of creativity and the spark of living and the power of loving people like that. Death doesn't erase that. You can't undo that. Um, and, and if anything, that kind of struggle is going to magnify that power of life and creativity and love. Um, so to me, that's a really important question. And if we make Easter about bunnies, right? Like why Yeah, (laughs) why would we do that? (laughs) Like, it's such a cop out. It's such a cop out again to the like, if you have power, own it. Um, Mm. so, (laughs) and we're pretty powerful, (laughs) we are, we are, and like, don't give that up. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Well, I'm happy to wrap on that note to be honest.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That was like a whole sermon in like a Yeah.
0: (laughs) That was rousing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing this instead of writing the sermon for Sunday, which though is about creativity. So it really all was just it's all perfect.
0: (laughs) Cool. Where are we marching? I'm in. My shoes are on already. I accidentally put my shoes on as you were talking. I didn't even notice. I'm ready to march. (laughs)
1: amazing (laughs) you can lead that because i will not be able to lead any chance with my wheezy COVID voice but (laughs)
0: that's why we have many voices
1: i know yeah my my little introverted self is like not gonna cause a rally but i can give you a really rousing (laughs) theological reason for living which i think is important well
0: i mean yeah that's not inconsequential (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) And on that
1: note, happy Wednesday. (laughs) Yes, happy, whatever day you're listening to springtime. It is nice that it's springtime.
0: Pastels, tulips.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy Um, the world.
0: Yeah. And we'll be back next month. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at UUCSW.org. All are welcome.